to 9,000 volts. Rectifier to 9,000. Hey, good. Now, now, switch the oscillator from negative to positive. Switch the oscillator. Grandpa? Yes? I don't mean to seem nosy, but um, what's the purpose of this machine? Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the IMMP, the Intermillennium Media Project podcast. My name is Matthew Porter. And I'm Ian Porter. I'm his dad. He's my son. And if you're w- listening to this on the day it drops, happy Halloween. <laughs> so we're still in the Halloween season. It is the very day as we uh, we release this. And we're, we've got that means we have to keep our Halloween theme for a third episode. Yeah. So far, we've talked about the 1931 Frankenstein and the 1974 kind of sequel, kind of homage, kind of parody, Young Frankenstein. So how do we keep in that theme? Old Frankenstein. No. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, we went back to the original Edison Pictures silent (laughs) Frankenstein movie. (laughs) That would be interesting, wouldn't it? Very interesting, actually. Yes. Uh, Yeah. Stay tuned, Patreon people. If uh, if we can find that, we might have to watch that sometime. Okay. No, we we did something else. Something I should have seen coming, but I didn't expect it now. Well, it's Halloween. I figured I had to hit you with something that is far scarier than any of the other things we've listened to. And that is a sitcom. Awkward social <laughs> commentary. And comedy that doesn't actually... I'm sorry, you give me characters with misunderstandings that could be resolved so easily, and they spend a half an hour dragging it out, and I just curl up into a ball. I can watch... I can watch The Ring, and all I start doing is taking notes as to wondering about how the haunting works. But I watch The Munsters, and I'm curled up into a ball. What's going on here? (laughs) Yeah, I know that sitcom cringe is your kryptonite. It, it is, is the scariest thing. So I, I try not to hit you with that too often. Thank you. But if we're we're spending the uh, the month talking about Frankenstein and related movies, we had to go to Universal's 1960s attempt to bring all of these characters to TV in the Munsters. Yeah, which is an interesting. This is another one where I know it via cultural osmosis more than I do by its own self. So I kind of should have seen it coming, but it's also the one I always forget about. And it's one of those things there. There is a sense of there are some people who are Adams family people and some people who are Munsters people. And they, they've always been sort of compared to one another. And we talked about the Adams family a couple of years ago uh, at Halloween time. And, you know, these two series, The Addams Family and The Munsters, premiered on TV within six days of one another. Oh, yeah. I... They were at the same exact time. We've got September 24th, 1964 for The Munsters, and six days earlier, on the 18th, The Addams Family had premiered. And both of them lasted two seasons. 
That's right. The the Munsters actually had a few more episodes than the Adams family and reached higher in in ratings and popularity than the Adams family did. Which is bewildering to me because the Adams family is the thing I still know from popular culture and the Munsters is like it's been chopped up and distributed in popular culture, but it doesn't stay intact. I think that what makes the Munsters distinctive and interesting is more accessible than the Adams family. The Munsters are an interesting and, and funny sitcom-y take on things and tropes that had been part of the culture for generations already. Everybody going into the Munsters understood Dracula and Frankenstein and and all of this, and they had that 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 they had those bearings to start with. The Adams family, it's just like we didn't we're not sure what this is, and we've got to listen carefully and find out who these characters are. The fun part of the Munsters is how they are diverging from what you would expect from these characters that we know from from popular culture of generations. With the Adams family, it's discovering them and seeing how weird they can be. That's a very good point. In order to kind of talk about the Munsters, we're going to have to talk about all the characters, the Munsters themselves. Absolutely. And I want to start with the one it kind of tries to start us with, which is their niece. Yes, they... they they try to pull that kind of bait and switch as their way of introducing it for this pilot. Yeah. Because she seems normal, and that's the weird thing about her. Yes. Marilyn is a beautiful young lady. She is well-mannered. She, we see her at the very beginning of the first episode coming home from a date. And then we find out where she lives. Yeah. This creepy-looking, run-down-looking house. With her aunt and uncle, Herman and Lily Munster, a vampire and a Frankenstein's monster. And that's the start of what I'm going to point out. The Munsters don't think they're weird. I don't, from what I can tell. I think you're right. I think the Munsters are, they are who they are. And they're trying to live as much a normal American suburban life as they can to the extent that they understand it. Yeah. And Herman Munster, played by Fred Gwynn, who had been seen previously in the sitcom Car 54, Where Are You? And Yvonne DiCarlo had a, a long and storied acting career uh, playing Lily Munster. And then we've got their the grandpa, Dracula, who's kind of a mad scientist character and seems... He's not bumbling, and he's not purely antagonist, but he kind of lands somewhere in the middle sometimes. Yeah, it's kind of, imagine if if Dracula just got old and forgetful and a little, you know, he's, he's into his dotage. He's still enthusiastic about things, but he's sometimes, he's not as focused, and yet he still has a sharp sense of humor and loves putting uh, his son-in-law, Herman, on the uh, the sharp end of that sense of humor. Yeah. And Al Lewis plays that really well. He's an interesting character, interesting actor. He's known for this and some other TV roles. He's also known for his work as a, a leftist political activist 
oh. for decades following this. He had a long-running radio show on the Pacifica network station in New York City that was mostly about politics. I'm sorry, suddenly the episodes where Dracula is in the basement attempting to generate free energy and such <laughs> has a different ring. A yeah. kind of still cool, but a very different ring. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. And it kind of brings in how this version of Dracula is, it, he's a little bit of Dr. Frankenstein as well. And He's a little bit Jekyll and Hyde too. Yeah, he's always, he, he's spending more times with potions and things than he is out sucking blood. And um, he's also a little bit of Nik Nikola Tesla. Yes. Oh my goodness, you're right. He that oh sorry i just had a little br little wild moment because you saying he's like nikola tesla is reminding me of the show sanctuary <laughs> where nikola tesla a vampire was kind of the scene stealing best part you're absolutely right i was hoping you'd get there it reminds me now that i've I'm coming back to this after seeing sanctuary yeah it's Nikola Tesla vampire who has no patience for, for people he doesn't think are being smart. Yeah, that's that's just <laughs> him. Oh my goodness. Unexpected prequel? Question mark? No. <laughs> and then they've got their son. Eddie Munster. Eddie Munster, who's a werewolf vampire? Yeah, it's kind of unclear, but it seems for the most part they're portraying him as a, a werewolf. I think he's got slightly pointy ears sometimes. He does have the sharp uh, kind of uh, hairstyle that's more like his grandpa's, and yet he howls at the moon and has to stay in his room when the the, the moon is full, etc. Yeah, and oh, and there's one last character, which is the pet, who who is a cat, and yet apparently he can also be giant and breathe fire. He's kind of like cat slash T Rex sometimes, which. Is an interesting method. In the first season, we have the cat wandering around, and then you see the giant fire-breathing cat kind of in shadow and such. In the second season, it's like this giant dragon who lives in this awesome like compartment under the stairs. That is just so cool. Why don't all houses have stairs within stairs or, or secret compartments within stairs? Absolutely. The house and the environment is almost its own character, too. Yes. This extremely intensely designed, even in the black and white, there's this, like, just look to it all. The electric chair as, a, as you know, the thing in the, the living room that you just set, sit in, the, the coffin telephone box, and all the secret passages and doors and such. It is kind of, what if you took Frankenstein's castle and reimagined it as a suburban mansion? That's exactly what you get. And it's, it's, it's giant. It's always raining and gloomy in their part of their street. There's often you know, thunder clapping and, and lightning. And yet they've got a television antenna because, of course, they're a suburban family. They've got a TV. Oh, yeah. Going into that, it's been chopped up and put all over the place. One of the first places I ever encountered anything Munsters related was HGTV, <laughs> where on a special about weird and interesting houses, there's a couple that had redone their entire house to be the house from the Munsters. 
complete with trap door and giant animatronic spot underneath the stairs. They had the compartment under the stairs? Yes. Oh, And all of this, and I'm just like, what show is this? (laughs) Because I'm seeing this at, like, the early... The early era of Lost, and I'm like, what sort of show takes place in this thing with these secret passages and everything else? And then I'm just learning later, it's like, oh, this is a sitcom, and they're piecing this together from the background of all of this stuff. It's not the focus, and I'm like, how? It's kind of like the recreation of the Brady house that we talked about when we talked about the Brady Bunch. But adding this whole new dimension, given the fact that it's the Munster's mansion that they're recreating. Yeah. I'm like, that's a wild setup to do. But it was fascinating. But it's one of those instances where it's like, I knew of other things and I'd gotten bits and pieces, but it took a while before I realized they all came from this. And we talked a bit about the characters, kind of introduced them. Yeah. And to, to talk a little bit more about them and a little bit about their relationships, Herman and, and Lily Munster are very happily married, very much in love, occasionally have their spats. We talked about Grandpa living with them and, and having a, a barbed sense of humor usually directed at Herman. But Herman himself is an interesting character because he's one of these characters we can watch change a bit as the writing changes over the course of a season or two. Oh, yeah. Herman is a, you know, I, I find myself thinking of it in, in a, a similar way to uh, Homer Simpson. That's a fair, yeah. Herman starts as a kind of a, uh, a simple homebody. He goes out to his job at the mortuary, the funeral parlor, and comes home to his family and loves his family, but likes being home with his newspaper. And... A simple man with simple interests wants to do a good job for his family. And over time, they seem to lean into the humor of him being slow-witted or a little infantilized, and he'll have little temper tantrums when he can't get what he wants because it allows them to show him stomping his feet and the whole house shaking because he's big. Lily, I want to go to the reunion. I want to, I want to, I want to. They kind of change his character and oversimplify his character over time, I think. Absolutely. One of the things to note is the the opening itself changes. And I think that shows a change in how they were thinking about the show. When they first started out the show, the opening focused and began with Marilyn leaving for her day. She was kind of the introduction character, just like that first episode, and the guide into this world. and. He was just one of the people who came in and got his stuff and went off to his day. By the time they do the second opening, it starts with him busting through the door and making a cartoon silhouette of himself through this door he's walked through and everyone else leaving through it. There's very much a, like, who's leading the charge of the show? And it shifts there. As he becomes the the zanier, the the more comedic center character, instead of the normal person who doesn't find it weird and helps guide the weird family trying to be normal, it becomes, I'm weird, and I am not, I, I, am, an, I am an unstoppable force of weirdness, 
bulldozing through the rest of the town around me obliviously. Right. They they lean into the Herman is inherently funny the way we've portrayed him, so let's just show more Herman, as opposed to let's tell stories that pull humor out of this situation. And yeah, in the first season the the stories can get to be formulaic, but they did have humor that comes out of the stories. One that's repeated is the fact that Marilyn, she goes out on dates. She's interested in getting married, but every time uh, she has a boyfriend who is you know, serious enough that he's going to come home and meet the, the aunt and uncle who have raised her, the boyfriend sees where she lives and meets them, maybe, and panics and runs away. And the Munsters think that it's because it's such a shame that Marilyn is so homely, and none of these boy, boys can can see see past that long enough, and they don't re- realize that no, she's the normal one, and she can go out in society, and nobody bats an eye, and it's seeing them that terrifies people. Yeah, that, that's that's one of the that's one of the best examples of them just kind of being oblivious to being the odd ones out in that sense. And yet it's a weird dichotomy because at the same time, they are trying to be as much like the the society around them as they can. And some of the other stories that we see are kind of about that, where Herman has to go out and get a driving license, which means he has to interact with people to get a uh, a license. Herman goes to a costume party, and, and Lily and Grandpa too, and everybody assumes that they're wearing costumes under their costumes because inside the suit of armor that Herman is wearing is Herman, who looks like a Frankenstein's monster. And that early one kind of definitely shows a, a much cle- more clever Herman than the later character because he's he's got wit in a party. He's got this, like, he's more personable in some weird ways. Yeah, he is. He is intelligent. He's he's got a certain kind of charm that he can turn on. It's just slightly askew, and it's wrapped in this monstrous exterior. They do like hitting Herman, though. I do wonder if you could chart an acceleration of head trauma over time <laughs> in the course of two seasons that could help explain narrative change. Oh, I wonder because he gets knocked around a couple times in that suit of armor, and it keeps happening episode after episode. Well, we have to assess the Munsters' concussion protocol. I think so. And like any sitcom, we see recurring uh, supporting characters. One is Doctor Dudley. Yes, and there again, we see the, that early on, and it's played for laughs with Doctor Dudley when he first sees Herman uh, for uh, an office visit doesn't have his glasses because they're out being fixed. So there's lots of Mr. Magoo-type jokes about the doctor can't see, but there's also the fact that the doctor can't see what Herman looks like. And of course, he gets his glasses back halfway through the visit, and everything changes. I do find it interesting that in later instances where we saw the doctor, though, he wasn't wearing glasses, and he'd been getting more used to the wild things these monsters are going to show up with. That is true. I kind of get the impression there's a whole lot of doctor's visits we don't necessarily see, and he get, becomes more accustomed to treating this family. Yeah. Oh, and Dr. Dudley, by the way, at first, played by an actor we've seen before. Oh? Played by Paul Lind, who was in Bewitched. Oh, as yeah. The, the, the uncle. Yes. And... It's funny, in season two, Dr. Dudley is still there, but played by a completely different actor. He's played by Dom DeLuise very, in season two. Yeah, very different styling. They somehow 
kind of go for similar senses of humor, although the the Dom DeLuise version is more making himself laugh yeah. than the Paul Lind version, and that's kind of just a Dom DeLuise thing, I think. It's also but, an understandable response to something he found traumatic enough. But we don't get too many recurring characters because so much of the humor comes from people having to meet and deal with the monsters for the first time. In, yeah, in some ways, one of the enemy of the monsters' storytelling is acclamation. If anyone gets used to them, the comedy would drain. They have to be in new places with new people because the initial shock is part of and the initial confusion is a core to what happens and i think if if anyone if any supporting character except maybe the doctor got to know the monsters more they would simply become part of the monsters sphere yeah like marilyn is and would it would be they'd be part of this sphere that then has to deal with the the rest of the world there's something in there that I want to touch on later, so we'll have to come back to that. Okay. But some of the other stories that they tell, we we uh, we talked about some of them. The their, their first episode, which I think was the second pilot that they shot. They shot a pilot, might have even shot the first one in color. Oh, really? And um, But then tweaked it and shot another pilot. That's not uncommon. It was pretty common at the time, too. Um, and that was the one with the, the masquerade party, where the parents of Marilyn's current boyfriend was ha- were having a masquerade and this was going to be their chance to meet the parents of this girl that their son seemed to be serious about. And there's plenty of confusion and problems over the phone initially and then leading to this party and the costume confusion. But the uh, the second episode is another Marilyn-centric episode in that they see Marilyn is having all this trouble, her boyfriend's always run away, and so they figure it's something with Marilyn, it must be. So we need a love potion, or at least this is Grandpa's idea. Oh my goodness. And he makes a love potion, and of course, it it doesn't reach its intended target. Instead, uh, and it's a love potion that whoever takes it, people who see them will fall in love with them. So it winds up being taken by Lily and by Herman. It's like, I think, extreme charisma buff. Right. So the, the mailman falls in love with Lily Munster and their neighbor who had previously been shocked and frightened by them and just uh, suspicious of them falls in love with Herman. And typical sitcom hijinks ensue. I'm just, I'm just astounded by how little that mailman had to deliver on regular. <laughs> like he had time. Okay. He did have to steal himself to make those deliveries to uh, to 1313 Mockingbird Lane. Yeah, which is interesting. I, I like I do like the fact that they gave like the address and such. They gave this this styling to that. And originally, it was supposed to be set in New Jersey. I think they even gave the town name of Camelot, New Jersey. But later on, I think that might have been in the first pilot. They they just make it a generic. They give you the street address, but it's in kind of any town USA. The only thing we know from some dialogue is that it's not in California. Yes. It's not California. Because they make they they make jokes poking fun at California. And I think that the people making the show realized well, California is not typical USA. And the whole point of this show is to put these monsters in typical suburban USA. Yeah. Okay, that's a weird question. Did they have a surfing episode? 
Uh, I wouldn't be surprised, but I don't know. And it's not one of the ones that we watched. Okay. Because we've got to note something about the theme, which is what in the world is with the theme? Oh, the music, uh, this music by Jack Marshall. That is one of the best things about the series, I think. This this groovy kind of haunted house surf rock anthem. Yes! It is what? great. Yes! It is what? great. Okay. This is tangent time for me. Okay. Because this is another piece I know of from somewhere else. Because for the longest time, I didn't know this as the Munsters theme. <laughs> this was the core of one of the weirdest songs I ever heard from Fallout Boy ever. <laughs> I, I don't know why... Fallout Boy used the Munsters theme as the core to the song Uma Thurman, which I swear is well before AI-generated songs, but sounds like it. None of the lyrics match. It uses this riff from a well-known thing, but I didn't know where it was from. It's this little sample that they use. They use just enough to turn it into the hook for this song. If they had used any more... I would say they're just being lazy and using somebody else's catchy riff yeah. to make their song interesting because it wouldn't be otherwise. They're on the verge of that with Uma Thurman, but it works better than I would have expected it to. In interviews, they've admitted it's because they mistook it for the theme to Pulp Fiction. Oh, you're kidding. Oh, wow. Yes. They thought it was the music. because some, Someone, they, they made this little riff. They thought that sounds great. And someone's like, oh yeah, Pulp Fiction. I love that. And they ran with it. And it's wild that that's how those things got connected. That makes sense now because you listen to the lyrics of that song and it's about dancing like Uma Thurman. And they're also specifically referencing that dance scene in Pulp Fiction, which had this kind of surf rock music going on. Yes. It kind of makes sense, but then none of the other lyrics tie together. <laughs> so I spend forever sitting there saying, this song's cool. It hypes me up. I'm enjoying it. I love this riff. Where is that riff from? And why does nothing else make sense in this song? <laughs> well, now you know you can thank Jack Marshall for that awesome riff. Okay. But I, I swear... The best, the funny thing is that we watched these episodes now, and I then sat there at work for the next week and said, why is this, oh, it's the theme, oh no, it's back, <laughs> and it's like a ghost came up from the past and hooked onto me and has been haunting me ever since, which is very thematically appropriate, but mm, pulled this out of the depths of my brain somewhere thanks to this show rant over i don't know if that's staying in or if that's a patreon bonus but still i think that's staying in okay <laughs> my goodness if you want to talk more about fallout boy in general i've got by all means i've actually got later things to talk about them so i might that might be a thing sometime else but still it's like talk about a thing where it's like this can disseminate into pop culture is this theme can just go off and be its own own reference and I could never trace it back to the Munsters for the longest time. Because it's also, it's, it's spooky, but it doesn't try to lean in on the spooky. 
it's surf rock as much as it is spooky in that sense. And there's a lot of that with the rest of it. It's this is normal family sitcom as much as it is spooky creepy. And that's that's a balance that they they work hard to maintain and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't. But it's it's an interesting line that they tread. Yeah. Another story that we watched, another episode we watched from season one, it started out in a way that felt unnervingly modern because it starts with Herman strapped to a table. Oh, yeah. And we see him breaking out of, out of the restraints and breaking things in the room. And it turns out he's in grandpa's dungeon under the house and stomping away and menacing this family eating their dinner as, as Herman stands outside the window. And then it goes to the, like, 10 days earlier. Yeah. Which is such an overused trope these days. This is the, I think, the earliest example of it I can think of from television. This early 60s, we see the, the, this, this turning point, and then we go back. The rest of the episode's a flashback. Yeah, we see like all these things. Like he attacks some piece of equipment and he's flailing about and he's he's leaning over and acting all weird. And why is he menacing the family? And we find it all out later. And they then at the end replay the scene. So you can see it in context. And suddenly you're like, oh. And this is a half a dozen episodes into the series. So if we've watched the series, we know what kind of a character Herman is, and he is not a violent character. They make it pretty clear that Herman is very much a pacifist. Yeah. And, in some- well, he's a pacifist in his personal life. He did serve in the army, and that's part of this same episode. Yeah. Honestly, in terms of um, Frankenstein's monsters, Herman, especially early season one Herman, definitely sounds like the sort of guy who would who would sit down at some point, read Paradise Lost, and consider the implications. <laughs> yes, I Actual think so. Actual book style. Uh, later, Herman might get a little confused by it, but I, I, there's something to that. And they do have a reason for this weird behavior of Herman's. And, and we do learn a lot about Herman's past, about the fact that he did serve in the army and his unit's going to be having a, uh, a reunion soon, etc. yeah. And it's interesting because they definitely do portray this kind of classic American family, but they also talk about like they came from like grandpa is from Transylvania. They are people who have moved to America in that sense. There's a bit of a an immigrant story aspect there. Uh, very much. I definitely get the impression that this is a story of immigrants to America who believe in what America represents and who want to become part of American society, part of the, the country they have adopted as their home, while still being who they are, and still being true to their origins and their personalities and their values, but wanting to essentially share this with their new country. Oh, yeah. It's- and they've been in America for a while, apparently, if, if, uh, if Herman served in the, the U.S. Army and so on. But there is that immigrants trying to spread that needle of being true to themselves while embracing and seeking to be embraced by their new home. Yeah, it's very much part of the story it's telling. And when the series takes a, a more serious turn, which it sometimes does, it always seems to be in that direction, and done pretty well, I think. Mm-hmm. 
there is another episode about Eddie's nickname. Yes. And Eddie is very upset about the fact that, and, and Eddie is small, and he has, he's gotten the nickname at school of Shorty. And he doesn't want to go to school because of the insulting nickname. And the different approaches that Herman and Grandpa each take. Grandpa's trying to do things like teach Eddie how to box and how to fight. And they've got to keep that quiet from Herman because Herman is not somebody who believes violence is the answer to your problems. Of course, Grandpa also thinks that a magic potion is the answer to the problems. And of course, the, the, the magic potion that's supposed to make Eddie grow taller instead has other effects. But it does mean another visit to uh, Dr. Dudley, this time for Eddie. Yeah. And Dr. Dudley at this point is, when he's giving his diagnosis, he's talking about you know, the esoteric and metaphysical stimuli. So I almost get the impression that, is Dr. Dudley like going off and studying magic and Western esotericism in order to better treat the Munster family? Another pin for later, because absolutely, there's, a, there's that and one scene in a different episode I want to cite together. And that's one of the episodes that ends with this really great little speech by Herman about people being accepted no matter what they look like, no matter what the superficial things people might judge them on. The lesson I want you to learn is it doesn't matter what you look like. You can be tall or short or fat or thin or ugly or handsome like your father. Uh, you can be black or yellow or white. It doesn't matter. What does matter is the size of your heart and the strength of your character. The, there's a lot of scenes in The Munsters which are much more modern and progressive in ways than I expected for the time. Yeah, I mean, it, these were, were pretty serious and in some cases you know, unpopular ways of expressing things in the early 60s. Not everybody in the country is going to, uh, going to embrace a sitcom talking about everybody being equal and what you look like is not what's ma what matters. Mm -hmm. There is a later episode where a person or an old man running a, the license uh, department gets confused and mistakes Herman and Grandpa coming in to get the, the driver's license. He starts thinking, oh, it's a marriage license. And he starts just going ahead. No, no worry, no complaint. There's comedy in the misunderstanding because sitcom. But the response is just, oh, here. Now, like, I understand. Like, that, that's yeah. part of the thing. There was something about the, even the implication of that and not, it was something there. Well, I think we're seeing this in a very different way. I think in 1964, the humor of that comes from the old man who can't see very well. He must think that the short, plump grandpa is a woman. Isn't that funny? Mm -hmm. I don't think the idea of, you know, they are actually two men and this guy's fine with them getting married would have crossed anybody's mind in 1964. No. It plays differently, of course, in 2022. It does. And and maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe I am I'm, uh, uh, judging people of 1964 uh, yeah. harshly. And to, to note another moment that's a thing, in the episode where uh, Herman gets, a, gets scrambled and they're trying to fix him using his old blueprints, one of the mistakes that happens is they wind up making him into a girl for a bit. And the response is to 
cut to like a day or two later. He's gotten a job as a waitress and is just going about his day dealing with it now. Yeah, he's accepted is, that completely. This there, is who I am now. This is which is a very like there's so many other shows that would just take that one thing and milk it for the joke, but the monsters the point is not oh laugh at the moment. The point was oh this is one of the things happening during all of this and they roll with stuff in now, a very different way than most other things. I think so. Now part of that is you're dealing with a character who is a creature constructed by a, a a scientist who comes with blueprints <laughs> right and he's you know he, he probably seems less fixed even to himself yeah. than grandpa than got was. sent commemorative duplicate blueprints for his <laughs> son-in-law but and you listen to the music cues and the way they shoot things they're going for the the, the comedy of drag yes they are but the character is not responding in that way the character is just well i'm moving on the world of the monsters is more chill than the camera of the monsters sometimes. Yes, it's almost as if they're thinking, well, the audience should find extra humor in how chill the characters are being. Right. Whereas I just, well, yeah, they're they're really chill. Cool. Exactly. It's, it's something to note, especially watching this show now, about how it portrays the environment, even if the fourth wall of it doesn't always respond the same. And yet there's a little bit of tension there, a little bit of inconsistency in that episode, because the, the, the problem of the episode is that something's gone wrong. Herman was fiddling with stuff in Grandpa's laboratory when he shouldn't have been. And he's transformed from his usual monstrous appearance to looking like a tall and handsome human being. He looks like Fred Gwynn without all of the... Herman Munster makeup. That must have been a nice day. Yes, that was probably a fun a fun shoot. And yet, for the story, of course, it's that, oh my goodness, this accident has made you hideous, Herman. You used to be so handsome, Willie's thinking. Why? What can we do to restore you to the, the, the way that you were? So he, he did, he felt very strongly about who he was and wanting to be who he's always been. Yeah. And yet, when, you know... Things don't go 100%. He rolls with things. It's an interesting mix. And then that um, that last episode we watched is actually the last episode of the, the season. Oh, excuse me, last episode of the series. Oh, wow. End of season two. And that is The Visit from the Teacher. Which almost feels like a new pilot. Almost. It, it's sort of a new pilot, sort of a... We need to wrap up the things we want to say with this. Yeah. Because it's, uh, it's set up is that Eddie has to write an essay about his home and his family for school. And he does so with help from his mom and his dad and his grandpa. But he tells the truth about where he lives, that he lives in this mansion and describes his father as eight feet tall and with a green complexion and how old they are and, and all this and you know, hundreds of years old. And... He gets in trouble for writing this made-up stuff when he's supposed to be writing an essay about his family. And that leads to the teacher getting the principal involved. And that leads to his principal and his teacher coming to visit at the Munster's house. Thinking, for a kid to have such a wild imagination, he must be trying to escape from something going on so bad at home. We should check. There's, there's a problem here. Which is good instincts? Good care and concern for your students i almost feel sorry for the fact that they're about to get culture shocked 
And of course, that goes to some of the same kind of humor we saw in season one with them being shocked and horrified and scared by things they see in the house. But it also it ends with a great another great speech by Herman about acceptance and uh, and equality. Yeah. Herman gets a lot of good speeches, even when they dumb him down over time. He still gets a lot of the best speeches in the show. Yeah, if, yeah, even when they they do dumb him down and and infantilize him from time to time for this for for the sake of humor, he he is consistently such a good-hearted character who cares about his family and cares about other people and wanting to do do right by people. That um that always comes through and I I like the fact that we can have a sitcom character whose primary characteristic is he's essentially a good person who wants to do good a well-constructed humanitarian of a man <laughs> yes you uh it's almost as if they they um they built frankenstein but didn't have the problem of the part that they had to replace yeah they didn't have to go to the criminal brain no they got the philosopher <laughs> yes and and in some ways all of the characters are slightly built on a an inversion of the stereotype they represent. Yeah. Dracula is not Dracula is is not a man trying to g- gather the center stage. He's as happy working in his little lab off to the side. He's a bit more of a a tinkerer instead of a, a dramatist in some ways. Still has the flair, but there's a bit of a difference there. And they've downplayed the needing to feast on human blood to survive thing. Yeah. Although they show him being tempted sometimes. I don't know what he actually does, but they say, now, now, Grandpa, you can't bite people. Lily Munster, who's this, you know, stylized as this kind of seductress vampire lady in some of the, 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 the hair and the makeup and the style they gave her, is instead this constantly giving homemaker instead of this taking, grabbing person. yes. Eddie, who's this werewolf kind of character, is not this howling at the moon loner. He's this, I want to be with my family, chat with everybody, hobbies galore kind of kid. Marilyn, who seems to be the the odd person and is almost depicted like the damsel in distress character archetype in some of her positioning and style with like framing and places they put her is instead the person on top of things, aware of her surroundings and ready to do what needs to be done. She's not out of place in that sense. Everyone's a slight inversion of the trope that their character design might initially imply. Yeah, the one twist with Marilyn is that she doesn't recognize that the loving family that raised her is unusual in any way and doesn't she does it doesn't occur to her that her boyfriends are being scared off by the house and by her aunt and uncle why would you be scared about this this is just a home yeah and i think that's where a lot of the humor comes from is the fact that the munster family isn't does not behave the way outsiders assume they will behave based upon the way they look mm mm-hmm. mhm and they're there, too, is a, a pretty strong statement for 1964. Exactly. And one thing we have to acknowledge in terms of the fact that they used these characters, 
and how they could get away with using these characters. It's all universal. Yes, this was a universal uh, television production, so they didn't have to worry about having the rights to... Well, Universal does not control the rights to Dracula or the rights to Frankenstein. Those are in public domain. The the novels are, are old enough. Anybody can make adaptations. But Universal owns the right to the depiction of Frankenstein that they created for the 1931 Frankenstein movie, the the square-headed, flat-topped, bolts-in-the-neck Frankenstein. Similarly, the depiction of Dracula in the Bela Lugosi form in that 1931 Dracula movie, they own that rights to that depiction. You get too mutton-choppy with your werewolf? That's Universal's. Right. But, but, you know, this is them deciding they wanted to reboot these properties they had that had value. It had been a little while since the, the Abbott and Costello stuff, I think. We can do something with that on TV, and this is what they developed in order to, to do that. So they had a clear runway to not only take these characters, but to take the most popular depictions of these characters and use them in such a, a different way in a sitcom. This is as it as it seems on the on in some ways it is Universal t- taking all this property and handing it to the creative team behind Leave It to Beaver. They 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 went with it, and that's kind of what we're seeing here in the early '60s. There had been such a long run of very predictable, extremely wholesome family sitcoms: Leave It to Beaver, Father Knows Best, etc. And it's like TV realized. We can go more high concept. There's more stuff we can do. And then you wind up with the Munsters and the Addams Family and some of the other high concept sitcoms that you see in the 60s. Yeah. But I think we might be getting down to some final questions. I think we are. So, um, the Munsters, it's a TV show. Binge or no binge? I'm actually saying no binge. I enjoyed watching bits of it, but maybe it's just my sitcom issues coming through i did find it hard to sit to to sit through too much of it at once and the fact that the entirety is built a bit on that unawareness is both its strength and its weakness for me when it when that rings as a as a good message it's wonderful when it becomes the sticking point it became uncomfortable for me and that's episode to episode, so it's I didn't I didn't want to sit through too many in case I hit a bad one. I going into this, I thoroughly expected to be saying no binge, because the little bits of this I remembered. It's decades and decades since I last saw the monsters. The little bits I remembered were the most sitcommy bits, and in terms of that dichotomy that that partisanship I talked about at the beginning I've always thought of myself as more an Adams family guy and if I had to 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 choose I'd say I'm more of a fan of the Adams family that kind of absurd humor that the Adams family goes for tickles me more the disparity of the Adams family wanting to be nothing other than what they are and the world can take them or leave them at their uh, um as it, as it sees fit, but they're going to be true to themselves versus a family that is trying to assimilate into the society that they are, uh, have have come to. 
I don't know, the Adams family, the, 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 the sharp edge of the Adams family always attracted me more. But having watched a bunch of the Munsters now, I enjoyed so much of it more than I expected to. Yeah. It, there is that the characters are more engaging than I remembered. That wholesomeness makes them fun to watch and rewarding to watch. So I'm going to say binge. I can understand that. And yeah, I, I honestly think more people can follow yours. Uh, mine is, is tempered by my own, my own preferences in terms of media yeah. in that sense. And that's sometimes I find that ironic because there's plenty of shows I like that love awkward comedy. Some of them <laughs> don't ring. And as great as this show, as much as I liked this show, there were times when that awkward rang the wrong note for me. Yeah. So it's like, you know, that, that should be in the fine print of the prescription. Yeah, know. exactly. Do not take the Munsters if you're allergic to cringe comedy. Exactly. That's a very good way to put it. Ask your doctor if Munsters are right for you. And make sure that your doctor can see when you talk to him. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So the next question would be, revive, reboot, or rest in peace? Oh my goodness, I have so much to note beforehand. Uh, all right. Because we've got the color revival of the show, The Munsters Today, from 1988 to 1991. Wow, that's a more recent today than I expected. Yeah. Uh, there's the, actually, going back, there's the 1966 Munsters Go Home comedy film. There's, oh, then the mini Munsters, The Munsters Revenge, Here Come the Munsters, The Munsters Scary Little Christmas. There is the 2012 dark reimagining called Mockingbird Lane, 1313 Mockingbird Lane, which feels just on description like it missed the point. Who, who made that? Uh, CBS. It was developed for NBC. Wow. Uh, that does sound like a missed point if they what, tried to make the monsters dark and scary. It was double featured alongside a an a Halloween themed episode of the supernatural drama Grimm and was not picked up for a series the way they intended. Wow. It feels like they attempted to be what we do in the shadows early and failed. Oh, okay, yeah, and that takes a certain comedic skill to to pull off. If you want to do a a dark and edgy comedy with monsters, not even oh, I like all uh, I like what we do in the shadows, but not even that fires on all cylinders all the time. And just to tell you how relevant the sh this series is, there is a movie produced by Rob Zombie that has come out within a month of the of us releasing this episode. Now that has come out already. Yes, I didn't realize that. I thought I knew that was on the way somewhere. I didn't know when it was being released. Uh, yeah. Wow. And that's a prequel movie. A prequel about how Herman and Lily got together and when they were dating. Huh. Yeah. I I kind of want to see that because I want to see. Uh, I have a feeling that could go very right or very wrong. Exactly. And I could see it going either way with Rob Zombie at the helm. But that actually kind of leads into something. I think that Revival, we've got a couple of things that we could count as that. Reboot, we've got a couple of things that we could count as that. Rest in peace, irony because it's Halloween. But the revival aspect I want to go back to because there's a lot to the Munsters world. We just I, I pointed out how the acclimation was the danger. 
The comedy was built on the not knowing. But we see these little bits. We see their doctor start to use these other references. We see the fact that they've got a copy of Herman's blueprints. We see these little things where, after that initial shock, the world would have to acknowledge that they're there. And I kind of like the idea of seeing a later story where the town is starting to get used to them, where that initial fear is giving way to this blending, where Lily is trading recipes with a neighbor instead of just scaring them off, where Herman's walking down the street and saying hi to people in the same way. The idea of a place where I live in the town where the monsters are, and that means my doctor has figured out medicine. (laughs) No one other than a person who could go borrow Herman's blueprints and know how a person's put together might know this little bit of a, like, I want to see the town story as much as them, because the town kind of evolving with them into the now could be really interesting. I like that idea because you, you've got that story of their home, their their town, their suburban town has accepted them as their own. And you can still have some of the same kind of humor that you have throughout the series because there's a bigger world out there. But now it's not everybody in town is afraid of the monsters and treats them badly sometimes because of that. It's Outsiders who are not part of this town occasionally have to deal with the monsters, and not only do the monsters have to deal with that, but their friends, their neighbors can stand beside them and say to the outsiders, you can't treat my friend Lily like that. You know, these are our friends and our neighbors, and we play bridge together, and I'm not going to listen to you insult them. Exactly. You want if you want to do it as a series, there's a couple of ways. You want to do it as a movie, I even have the way to introduce it. Marilyn goes off somewhere, actually finds someone and is bringing them home. And this is the person that doesn't run. Oh, I like that. Because the town is kind of they start noticing something and they already had noticed something without the shock element just going over and Wait, she makes what for dinner? (laughs) Okay. They've kind of gotten a little bit used to the things she already does without the context of living with her aunt and uncle. So going back home gives this way for this character not to run and be your audience surrogate if you need one. But you could have a fun story with that. But I want to see that that town growing and that integration Because they're already showing bits of that in the show, but never follow it too far because they'll lose that focus of sitcom. But there was something there I wanted. Yeah, we couldn't see that much change in a sitcom that has to start out at the status quo every half hour. But everything you've described, it fits with that wholesome message of the monsters at its best Mm -hmm. so very well. Exactly. And... Sometimes we talk about revivals where we have to think, okay, it's it's 30 years later, it's 60 years later, we have to think of, okay, what's the next generation if it's going to be a revival? Um, no, this could still be Lily and Herman and Grandpa. <laughs> it really could. I'm just imagining the idea of 
and I don't know when you set it. There's fun things about setting it a little bit before, like give us a 90s. Like, I don't know. Setting now can also be very funny. Now, I'd say you'd have to set it now because if you set it a decade or two in the past, it becomes more about that time period. Yeah. I, the idea of grandpa mixing giant glowing electrical tubes and, you know, arcing lightning. But he's there, like, soldering Raspberry Pi boards and building, a th- and, like, 3D printing stuff in his basement. Because, <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I figured out how to make it work. Or just Herman Munster takes out his Bluetooths and magnetizes them to his bolts to talk with someone for a moment, <laughs> like people would put their headphones around their, around their neck. It's these little things I can imagine so clearly. Grandpa would be a YouTube sensation. Oh, my God. Grandpa would be a shining light in in MakerTube. He absolutely would. Oh my goodness, just being able to do like Grandpa's uh, lab vlogs as like, there's something weirdly, um, there's something weirdly Malcolm in the Middle-esque about the way I can imagine this having a rougher filming style. But I can, I can see that working. And if things like WandaVision can show us this high budget version of sitcoming with superpowers aspect but everyone wanted more of some of those episode moments this can do that this can this can pull the the powers in a world kind of aspect too the question i have in all of this is if do you age up eddie you'd have to you'd have to presumably you know he's going to age now maybe I don't know how werewolves age in if if their dad is a Frankenstein's monster and the mom is a a vampiress, but I presume that he would at least age to be in his prime and then maybe stay there. So you could you know hire some uh, some twenty something pretty boy to play Eddie it, Munster. Exactly, it's just like I I don't know. There's something about him. I thought the mutton chops would turn me off. No, they don't. Okay, <laughs> says all these girls. He's right. like, oh. <laughs> I could I could see that playing very Oh goodness, make him a skater. <laughs> that kind of works. It does. It does. So, yeah, I don't know that we're ever going to see a um a revival in the way that we want, but yeah, I'm I'd be more interested in a revival than a reboot. Interested as I am in Rob Zombie's take. Mm-hmm. A revival would be fun. You'd have to have to recast it, of course. That's the the, the typical part. We've compared it a couple times, but I'm going to say one more thing. Definitely, you described that you were more of an Adams Family person, but you 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 realized you liked the monsters more watching this. I kind of I'm feeling the same way, even if I find both hard to sit through. As much as the take it or leave it edginess sometimes of the Adams Family is, the monsters. Don't bother getting in your face about the question, and they move on to the going to the grocery store of it all. <laughs> and that's very, very nice. It is. I can I find myself identifying with Gomez Adams more, but I can really appreciate Herman Munster and wouldn't mind being his neighbor. You want to live next to the Munsters. That's the... That, um, absolutely. So this was interesting. Uh, this this took me in different places watching this again after so long. Uh, and that's one of the fun parts of doing this podcast. Yeah, it'll take a bit, but this would be one of those things I'd consider for a week we kept watching. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Fill in some of those episodes we didn't see. and 
or see. or watch some of the alternate other things and see what, oh, what yeah. more of the the monster verse is like if they go astray. Yeah, that would be interesting. I don't think I've seen any of those. Hmm. And this has made for a, a fun end to our, our Halloween theme for 2022. I think this was a nice little trend. We yeah. started with the we started with the uber serious, and then we moved through the silly into the the thoughtful. So next time we'll be out of the Halloween season. We'll be on to to new things, and also I believe our next episode is going to mark our fourth anniversary of doing this podcast. Oh my word! So uh, yeah, we've crossed a hundred episodes. We're we're going to be crossing the four year mark, and that's kind of hard to believe, just because it's been so much fun to do. Thank you. And for all of you listening out there, if this is your first episode, of course, welcome. And if this is You've been with us from episode one. Thank you as well. Just as much. We love, no matter where you want to join, we're just happy to have you here. So thank you. And to celebrate those milestones, our 100th episode a few weeks ago and our our fourth anniversary, we're continuing through the end of this year, our offer to send you a free sticker from the IMMP. So all you need to do is, well, if your age is closer to Ian's age than mine, go on Google and look up what a self-addressed stamped envelope is. Hey. And then make one of those and put it in an envelope and send that to us, the Intermillennium Media Project, at P.O. Box 271167, Littleton, Colorado, 80127. Send us that self-addressed stamped envelope at that P.O. Box and we will send you back an IMMP sticker. Straight straight from our mountain bunker here. And you'll also find that um, uh, address on the contact page at our website, which is immproject.com. And at immproject.com, you'll also find links to all of our back episodes, including all of our old Halloween episodes down the years. And you'll also find a link to our YouTube channel, our link to our uh, Patreon. Thank you very much to anybody who can support us there. You help keep the, uh, the show going. And... You'll also find uh, a link to our Discord, and we'd love to hear from you, be it on the contact page, on the on the Discord, on Twitter, at IMMPCast. Let us know what you think of the Munsters, let us know some of your favorite Halloween shows, and uh, but most importantly, thank you very much for downloading and for listening. And Ian, where can people find you online? I can be found on Twitter as ItemCrafting, and on Twitch as ItemCraftingLive, and at ItemCrafting.com. And you can find me as by Matthew Porter. You can find me on Twitter as by Matthew Porter. If you go to bymatthewporter.com, you'll find links to anything else I'm doing. And uh, again, thank you for downloading. Thank you for listening. And we will be back in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, go find something new to watch. That's still stuck in my head.